Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. This, another dreary Wednesday night. I think eight out of the ten Wednesdays we've had have been dreary. Uh, so, and I appreciate you, especially you coming when you could be uh, studying for a test that's tomorrow or uh, just curled up because it's so dreary outside. And so I'm really glad you came. I will also point out uh, that it, it is right that we would sing a song like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, any time of year, you know, most Christmas songs that we associate with Christmas, I would not say that about necessarily, but uh, (laughs) O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a song that we sing in the midst of heartache and pain as we look at the world around us. And we, uh, as Christians, we believe that we live in a world that is at times wonderful, but also not the way it was supposed to be. And uh, so it's right that we would cry out and say, God, come, make this right. Make this awful, these awful things that I see around me right. Um, so that's just, I just, that's just an aside. Um, but RUF is a Christian community at UConn. And um, what that means is that, uh, first of all, we're a community. So we want to be a place uh, not just to uh, come and hear a talk and worship, but actually to live life together, to be known uh, by one another, and to support each other, and uh, walk through life together, and uh, being a Christian community means that all are welcome, because God welcomes all uh, to come, and uh, it also means that uh, we look to Jesus for our hope, and that's why we look at the Bible each week in RUF, and uh, this semester we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and yeah, the semester's flying by, and we're flying through Mark. And uh, tonight we come to a really uh, critical passage, and in a lot of ways this passage uh, highlights uh, the theme of this series I'm doing, which we, I'm calling Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so a lot of people look to what we uh, studied last week with Peter saying, you know, Jesus, you are the Christ, and, uh, and Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. And this passage... Uh, that we're going to read tonight is like the heart of Mark, the heart of this uh, gospel of Jesus uh, that he tells. So let me read it for us. Uh, Mark 9, starting in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make uh, three tents, and one one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as soon as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Let's pray again as we approach the word. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you from a lot of different places tonight. Uh, Some of us from belief and others from uh, unbelief or skepticism or doubt. Uh, Some of us energized and some of us weary and tired. Uh, We pray that no matter where we come from tonight, uh, that you would apply your word to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a friend who's much older than me who a long time ago was a pilot in the National Guard, the Air National Guard. And I think I've shared this story. If you've been around RUF for a while, you've heard this story, surely. But when he told me the story, I was always struck by it. He told me about a mission that he went on in the early 90s when there was all this conflict in Eastern Europe where the mission was to fly. They had to fly their planes through this like corridor of sky. And the deal with the mission was that the enemy that wanted to kill them, uh, there was a treaty that said, like, everyone's allowed to fly through this one area. But what the enemy was doing is that they were putting, uh, as, as they were going to fly, the enemy was going to get their missiles locked onto these guys as they flew. And, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Top Gun, you might know this, that, like, you know, when you're flying a plane and you get on missile lock, there's this, like, beep to let you know that someone's about to shoot you with a missile. They're locked onto you. And the deal with this missile is that they're flying through this narrow narrow corridor of sky. So what the enemy was trying to do was to freak them out by putting them on missile lock so that they would like bank up out of instinct because that's what you get trained as as a pilot. Like if you hear the tone, you just bank up, shoot your flares out to attract a potential missile and get away. And, And this mission... Uh, the deal was you had to just fly. No matter what tone you hear, uh, ignore your instincts as a pilot and just keep flying through that corridor. And I want to suggest to you tonight that, flying, uh, that following Jesus is a lot like that mission because it goes against all of our instincts. Uh, because as we try to follow Jesus through life, uh, trials and difficulties hit and we think, you know, Jesus isn't all you need. Like money is all you need and I have none or grades are all you need, or a job is all you need, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend is all you need. Uh, You need control. And we're at a turning point in this Gospel of Mark, and we're turning uh, toward the second half, and what Jesus has been drilling into his disciples up to this point is that he has come to make them the people they were meant to be, and it happens when you hand over control of your life to him which is the exact opposite of how we tend to live, uh, especially when life gets hard. Um, so it's this turning point in the Gospel of Mark. And what, what, what they're facing is that like, from now on, it's going to get really hard to be a follower of Jesus. Like It hasn't been that hard yet, but now it's going to get hard as Jesus goes to the cross. And for us, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, It's hard to surrender control to Jesus. It's hard to obey when it hurts, and our instinct is to bail. And so the question I want us to look at tonight is, how do we know it's worth it? Why not bail? Uh, Is following Jesus and obeying him really the best life plan? Um, You know, what what could make you follow Jesus into danger and vulnerability and uncertainty when everything, every instinct tells you to bail. And the answer that this passage gives us tonight is glory. The answer is glory. In this passage, Jesus is showing his disciples they, they, they were made for glory. And he gives them a glimpse of it so that he can show them this is worth it. 
Uh, and remember, if you were here last week, the question of who is, who is Jesus is still hanging in the background. And Peter told last week, he said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And, uh, and he got it, but he didn't fully get it, as we saw last week. And these are disciples that are confused, and uh, they're especially confused about this idea of, like, why would we have to suffer if Jesus is the king? And uh, here Jesus says, this is who I am. You want to see who I am? Look at me now. I am worth it. And I just have two points for us tonight. Uh, Jesus is worth it because uh, he's the source of glory and he's the secret of glory. Uh, so first of all, Jesus is the source of glory. And we really uh, see it in verses 2 through 4 up here uh, where Jesus takes Peter and James and John. So these are like Jesus had 12 disciples and he had three Peter, James and John that were kind of like his boys with a Z. And uh, they, they were his closest companions. And uh, he takes them up on this mountain and says he was transfigured before them. And this was originally written in Greek. And that Greek word is metamorphosed, like a butterfly, right? From a caterpillar to a butterfly. So like massive transformation. And uh, Jesus starts to glow white in front of them. And it says that Elijah and Moses appear, these huge Bible guys, like if you were Jewish, which these guys were, like, this is it. You know, Moses and Elijah showed up. These are the biggest deal guys in the Bible up to that point. And what the story is doing is actually evoking for us Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, where Moses got the Ten Commandments, if you know that story. Uh, where uh, when Moses came down from the mountain from meeting with God, his face was glowing. And Mark here is saying, you know, how great Moses was? He was actually just the shadow of who Jesus is because Moses reflected the glory of God. Jesus exudes the glory of God. He's the source of glory. Uh, Jesus is who the world has been waiting for. And there's this kind of funny thing that Peter says in response. He says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here, which is like, the understatement of all history, right? Like, what a stupid thing to say. Um, but he just didn't, it says he didn't know what to say. And uh, then he says, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And because uh, he didn't know what to say. And um, what's going on is he's just trying to make sense of the scene and he can't. Uh, and some people say he's just babbling and saying stuff. And some people uh, say he's actually, they say like, well, the word for tent is tabernacle. And that's a uh, dwelling for a heavenly being. So maybe he's thinking like, let's make these dwellings for these obviously heavenly beings. But no matter what you think about that, uh, he's still not getting it. Because he's seeing Jesus like Moses and Elijah. These prophets from the Old Testament. And as a uh, just as this great man sent by God. And uh, when Jesus is actually the source of glory, uh, light emanates from Jesus. Now, I want to just, you know, it's easy to be cynical here. And I want to just acknowledge that many people don't believe in the truth of this story. And a lot of the way that goes is they say, well, this happened 2,000 years ago, and people knew less about science then. And maybe it's exaggerated, and it's easy to say, oh, this is just a story. It's too good to be true. But uh, if that's what you think, I want to suggest to you that we don't actually live that way. Uh, we all seek out true glory. 
several weeks ago, a bunch of us in this room went uh, up to New Hampshire for fall conference uh, to this beautiful camp in New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, I've gone on that trip nine times now, and I'm always amazed by, like, the same things happen every year. Like, every year, some people get up to watch the sunrise over the lake. And every year we go on this hike, and, you know, the point of the hike is just to get to this overlook where you just get to the top and you just look out over like all the mountains and the lake and you just go, wow. And we all just want to take pictures of it and stare at it. And it's, that makes the hike worth it. And the reason we do that is because of glory. We all want to experience uh, glory. And the word glory actually means, like the meaning of glory is weightiness. It means it ma- like this matters. It has weight. And so when we look out on that beautiful view, we say, wow, this, has, this is it. This matters. This has weight. Uh, when I think of glory, I think of the birth of my children. Uh, it's the most glorious thing I've ever been a part of in my entire life. As you, know, you go through this process of waiting and waiting and waiting, and then childbirth, if you're a female here, like, that's super intense and hard and painful. Uh, so it's just like, you know, you're exhausted. You know, you, the dads are even exhausted. Uh, and, and then there's this moment where you see this child, this human emerge, and just tears just flow because the moment matters so much. And... Um, if that means anything to you it's because you were made for glory you were meant for glory and Mark wants us to believe that this happened the way he said it happened but even if you're not ready to accept that I want you to acknowledge that there's a part of you that deeply wants this to be true Uh, and then ask the question why like why do we long for glory Um, and what the Bible teaches is that we were made for glory We were made for a world that is glorious, and it's a shadow of what it is supposed to be today, but uh, the longings we have are because we were made for glory, and Jesus shows us glory. Jesus is the sunrise and the childbirth and the beautiful view all wrapped into one. Glory just radiates out from him in the story, and for us, what this means is we just need to respond. Like, if this did happen, it means you can't just say, Jesus was a good teacher and I follow some of his advice. Or you can't just say, well, I like RUF, but uh, I'm not going to, this isn't going to affect my life significantly. Uh, because if this is true, it changes everything. If Jesus is the source of glory, that will affect everything in your life. Uh, but the transfiguration isn't actually the end of the story. There's more. Because there's a problem here for us, which is, how do we enter into the glory? You can look at all the beautiful sunsets out there and they're wonderful and the amazing views, but you'll never like be absorbed into the sunset. Uh, you'll never be absorbed into the beautiful view. Uh, they're never ultimate. They always leave you wanting more, do they not? Uh, have you ever had a dream that was so good that when you woke up, you tried to like get back into the dream? Anybody ever done this? Like you're dreaming and it's good. And you're like, man, that was awesome. And it never works, right? Like it doesn't like, and that's really just what life is like for us. Uh, we live in a, this world where we're trying to get back into the dream, uh, the dream of glory. 
and we can never do it. Uh, the reason, that's the reason addiction happens. It's the reason, uh, you know, we get addicted because we're trying to get into the dream of glory. We become workaholics because we're trying to enter the dream of glory again. We uh, care too much about what people think of us because we're trying to re-enter the dream of glory. And it's, you know, and it wears us out, too. It's the reason we give up sometimes, too. It's the reason we just procrastinate all the time or numb ourselves and this text says Jesus is the source of glory. Okay, but the question is, what do I do with that? Jesus is glowing here. That's significant. But what does it mean for me? And the rest of the story gives us more insight because Jesus is not just the source of glory, but he's the secret of glory. And uh, a key part of this text is verse 7, when the cloud shows up. And then there's this voice and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's this way of saying, Jesus is not just a great prophet. He's not like Moses and Elijah. Like, he is God. He's like, the Father in heaven is saying, this is my son, and you need to listen to him. And then all of a sudden, it all goes away. And they head back down the mountain. Everything goes back to normal. They head down. And, you know, glory is a mystery, and Jesus is the secret to it. Because in the Old Testament, speaking of Moses, like Moses, there's a story in the Old Testament about how Moses longed to see, he said, God, show me your glory. And God responded and said, you can't actually look at me and live, uh, but I'll hide you, and I'll kind of cause all my glory to pass before you. So if you were Jewish, you knew no one looks at God and lives. Like, God is too glorious to see face to face and then live. Uh, that's why when uh, the people gather at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up, uh, they're all terrified. They're all like, we're doomed. Because everyone knew there was this gulf, this gap between God and us. You couldn't see God and live. But the strange thing is that in this story, the same cloud shows up. They're enveloped in the cloud in this story. And God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then it goes away and they're still alive. They're still standing. And the point is this. Through Jesus, you can be enveloped in God's glory and live. You can actually enter into the glory. He's the way you connect to that which is glorious. And the way it works is this. Uh, the real key to this story is that the most amazing thing in this story is that Jesus shows us all his glory and then he goes dim. The glory is veiled and he goes back down toward the mountain to Jerusalem where he's going to die. Okay, the one who's the source of glory is now headed to go die. Uh, I've been, anybody been to Israel before, perchance? I've been to Israel once before, and I actually got to, one of the things you do if you tour Jerusalem is you can walk the way of the cross. And so you walk the path that Jesus walked toward the cross through the city. They know the path. And uh, when we did it, as my, the tour group I was on did it, uh, it was just like mobbed with people trying to sell you stuff the whole way. Like tables just trying to sell you like a bookmark with like Jesus on it or something like that. Trying to, and it was really like, we were all just like kind of complaining about how like cheesy and awful it was that we were like walking this and people were just like yelling and going about business. And, 
And our guide said something really interesting to me. He said, well, that's how it would have been when Jesus did it too. Because no one cared. Like, people got crucified regularly in the Roman Empire. And so it, it wasn't even, like, notable that Jesus carried his cross on this path to the people who were there. Okay, the most amazing thing that happened in all of history is that the one who's the source of glory became someone that no one noticed. Someone that people ignored or hated. Someone who died like a common criminal so that we would no longer be overcome by glory, but that we could live in glory. And in verses 9 and 10, Jesus starts to talk about his resurrection. He says, don't talk about this until after I'm raised from the dead. And that, point, that points to what Jesus is ultimately doing, which is putting an end to death. Uh, Jesus, has died. Jesus dies and rises so that when those of us who trust him die, we will rise and dwell with God in glory. And there's nothing more weighty than that. There's nothing more glorious than that. And I just want to, you know, here's the takeaway. If you're going to take away something from tonight, take away this. Uh, your idea of God needs to change. This is how most of us view God. Uh, God is generally disappointed with me and has put the ball in my court to come around and get my act together. That's just the way we tend to live, right? God's probably disappointed with me. When's Lucas going to get his act together? And I want to suggest to you that on this mountain, Jesus changes that conception of God. He shows us who God is because he is God. He's the source of glory. He's so high above us that you should really die in his presence. But instead, his mission is not to cast you away. His mission is to bring you in. His mission is to envelop you in his glory. And the only way it could happen is if he goes dim. The only way it could happen is if he loses everything so that we can have it all. And he does it. It starts when he's born in a barn and it ends when he's crucified like a criminal. On the cross, Jesus experiences all the inevitable results of all our misguided attempts at glory so that we can become glorious. Uh, And if you seek out glory apart from Jesus... It'll leave you hurting, and it'll leave you empty, it'll leave you with no hope. And Jesus takes that on. There's nothing more hopeless than gasping your last breath hanging on a cross. And the result is we're brought in. We receive everything good that Jesus has, including life in glory. And when that's your God, that will change everything about life. Uh, your life won't be spent trying to, uh, like, attempting to find an experience and enter into glory because you've been brought in already. Uh, you, can, you can wait on God. You can obey in ways that are costly or that seem mundane because Jesus has already brought you in. Uh, you won't need to know, be noticed all the time because you've been noticed already. You can serve in mundane ways because you're in already. And those moments where you question, you know, is this worth it? Can I, 
continue on this road will become less and less, uh, they will become more and more fleeting. So I just want to ask you tonight, do you know the true glory of God? Let's pray in closing that we would be brought into that. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, this story in a lot of ways seems so foreign to us. And I know for me, it's often hard to believe that it actually happened. And, uh, but Lord, uh, it is our only hope. And so we pray that uh, we would uh, see some of your glory even tonight. Uh, I pray that we'd be brought in and changed by your glory. And it would change us, uh, making us into the people we were meant to be. Uh, Go with us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, guys, let's stand for our last song.